In my last sermon, I spoke about Jesus being my mentor. What I failed to mention was how long it took me to reach that conclusion. It wasn't a decision I reached easily. The life of Jesus that I read about in the Gospels was confusing to me. It centered heavily on details of his life, where he was born, whether he was raised from the dead or not. Yet the various accounts of his life were different depending on which gospel I read. In my opinion, the Bible doesn't accurately record how knowledge of Jesus was accumulated. The New Testament begins with the gospels rather than Paul's letters, most if not all written much earlier than the gospels. Yet even then, the order of the gospels isn't chronological. Mark was written first and is the shortest, perhaps because the author was honest enough to acknowledge that he didn't know much about Jesus' birth. Actually, he knew nothing. So he begins his gospel with Jesus' baptism and finishes his gospel with women running away from the tomb in fear. Both Jesus' birth and his death are clouded in mystery because the writer knew nothing about them. That never dawned on me as I was growing up. Who thinks about such things when you listen to stories about Jesus? Stories told with great specificity as several stories are woven together. Truth is, the only birth stories of Jesus are in Matthew and Luke, and they're more than a little different. But I don't want to get bogged down in details. I really don't care if no one knew how or where Jesus was born. What I care about is his life, how he lived it, and what he did. And I think the most important story in any of the Gospels is Jesus' chance encounter with a Syrophoenician woman. I researched that story as it appears in the Gospel of Mark for my final seminary paper in New Testament and continued to believe how critically important it is to understanding Jesus. What's fascinating to me is that it was almost totally ignored by the scholars who developed the lectionary that three-year cycle of biblical texts that's supposed to give Christians a fairly good overview of the Bible. I'm aware that the lectionary has largely been abandoned in many churches, yet Christians still rely on the Bible as the basis of their faith. So shouldn't we still be using the Bible to support what we believe in whatever way we can? I'm well aware of how Christians of various persuasions view Jesus. Having been raised in a highly conservative denomination and subsequently evolved into a highly progressive Christian who almost doesn't fit anywhere, I've been all over the Christian map. But to me, it's not enough to say, Jesus is my mentor, the one who challenges me, I have to be able to support what it is I believe, if only for myself. I don't feel the necessity to try and convince everyone else 
of how I arrived where I am today. But I think every Christian should be able to explain what their particular image of Jesus is and what their image of God is, for that matter. I recall the first time I asked a student who was pursuing ordination, what is your image of God? I heard almost audible gasps from my ministerial colleagues who were with me during that interview. After the meeting concluded, they shared their surprise at my question. My response? They better know what their image of God is. It matters. But it doesn't just matter for ministers. It matters for each one of us. Not only does it matter what your image of God is, but what's your image of Jesus? I realize that for many Christians, Jesus appears to have sprung from the womb as this totally formed human being who knew and was God. End of story. But is that really good enough? For some it is. They don't need to explain it. It is what it is. I'd like to hope that that isn't good enough for many of us. If we have an image of Jesus, it seems we ought to be able to explain how we came to develop that image. Is it enough to say, that's what I learned from my parents, or my pastor, or whomever? Do we never challenge what we've been taught? And is it any different than how we assess our fellow human beings? We make decisions all the time that determine everything from whom we choose as a partner to whom we vote for in an election. Shouldn't we care equally as much about how we arrive at our view of Jesus and God? I would hope so. So I'd like to share the story of Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman and why I think it's so critically important to my assessment of Jesus as a mentor. Listen to the story. From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice, but a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall onto the table. Then he said to her, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. This is a very shortened account of what I imagine was a much longer encounter. Yet each time I read this story, I want to cry. Jesus is so awful to this woman who is so desperate. 
And over the years, I've heard mind-twisting assessments from ministerial colleagues about this story. They ham and haw and stumble over themselves to make Jesus look good. But the truth is, he treats the woman abominably. He calls her a dog and essentially tells her that he's come for the Jews and not for her, a foreigner. This story makes Jesus look really bad. But the woman, and you must remember that women in that society were considered not even worthy of notice, wouldn't allow herself to be mistreated. She stands up to Jesus and tells him that even if his primary concern is with his fellow Jews, she matters, and so does her daughter. And Jesus realizes, probably not as quickly as the story implies, that she's right. Everyone matters, something this woman wanted to be sure he knew. She wouldn't go until he got that message, and Jesus got it. That's why he grants her her wish. He figured that even though his disciples often didn't get it, this woman did. She, a foreigner, got it. So Jesus realizes it was a message he needed to spread as far and as wide as he could. Now you can simply gloss over the details and make this another Jesus healing story. But that misses the point. The point is that Jesus realizes what he's done. And his assurance of her daughter's healing is his apology to the woman. I haven't time to share with you how extensively I researched this story. What I concluded was that Jesus was tired and frustrated when he traveled to Tyra the furthest he'd ever traveled, and wanted so much to be alone. I imagine most of us understand that feeling. I know I do. We sometimes need time by ourselves, time to refresh, maybe even time to meditate. And if someone interrupts us, we can be more than a little testy. It's a fairly typical scenario. And I'd like to think that when I'm in that situation, I can be understanding of the other person. But I know better. Instead, I can be snappy and annoyed, just like Jesus was. Now think about this story from another angle. Can you think of any other story where Jesus treats anyone so terribly? I don't think so. Most of the stories of Jesus are flattering. No matter what the venue, he manages to rise above it. So why share this unflattering story? Why include it in the narrative? Because I think the gospel writer Mark realized it was a human story with which we can all associate. Most of the stories of Jesus are so big that we can hardly imagine ourselves in a similar situation. But here we can. No, we can't perform miracles. 
but we can apologize in an ugly situation. That is, if we're a big enough person. And Jesus was. What Jesus comes to understand through his confrontation with this woman, and like it or not, it was a confrontation, is that unlike Jesus' disciples, who rarely understood him, this woman did. She, no doubt, didn't have any previous contact with him, but she'd heard the stories, and she surmised from those stories that he was a kind, loving, compassionate person. She's heard that it didn't matter who you were, a woman, a tax collector, a foreigner, a nobody. This Jewish rabbi gathered you into his sphere of love. And that's what she counted on. And based on what she'd heard, she wasn't about to slither away into the shadows just because he was having a bad day. She mattered, and so did her daughter. She not only surmised who Jesus was, but she nailed it. She got it, even though his disciples kept wondering what he was really about. But they weren't the only ones who didn't get it. I mean, really. Do we think that most people, even here in the 21st century, understand Jesus? I think we too often get bogged down in the details. Was he born in Nazareth or Bethlehem? Did he really walk on water? I mean, really. Why are those details important? What was Jesus trying to accomplish with his life? And did he do it? I'm not sure. He may have failed. He was trying to show people who God was, and that what mattered most was how they treated other people, regardless of who those other people were. I think that was his primary message. God is love, so love God and love your neighbor. And whether we want to acknowledge it or not, even Jesus failed sometimes. He almost failed in his exchange with this foreign woman. But she stopped him in his tracks, and he realized he'd made a mistake. Jesus, the very human Jesus, made a mistake. But rather than brushing the woman aside, he apologized. And has he thought more about this encounter? And whether we have, whenever we have a chance encounter like this that catches us short, we think about it. And Jesus realized he needed to be more definitive with his message. And so he shared a story later on about who our neighbor is. He knew what God wanted. God wanted everyone to be treated equally and with care. Remember the story about the Good Samaritan? It wasn't a simply a nice story or a story that hinted at how religious leaders didn't get it. It was a story telling us that the despised Samaritan, the one whom everyone hated, was the one who showed mercy to someone he didn't even know. Maybe Jesus used the Samaritan in the story 
because he knew how Jews viewed Samaritans. They thought Samaritans were scum. They may have missed the point if he'd used someone else, like a woman. So he created a story about a Samaritan to make his point. Each of us should know how to act towards everyone, even those we'd rather not encounter. And in the back of his mind, he might have been thinking of that woman that he encountered years before. That woman who caught him off guard in a chance encounter, but taught him a lesson. If we really understood Jesus's message, racism and all the other isms wouldn't exist. Several letters written recently in the Kansas City Star emphasize why so much of this is important. One woman who calls herself a practicing Catholic had this to say concerning bishops who think some individuals oppose certain principles in the Bible. She wrote, and I quote, my Bible speaks of a humble, kind, and gentle man, speaking words of love and grace. He welcomed those wanting a better life. He took care of widows, orphans, and the poor. He regarded women with the utmost respect. He was a servant to his disciples, even washing their feet. She emphasized that these were principles Jesus lived by, and found that name-calling and humiliating rivals, disrespecting women and building walls, were not the principles Jesus lived by, and found it disturbing those biblical principles seemed unimportant to so many others. On the very same day, another letter writer who calls himself an old white man had this to say about those who are passing restrictive voting laws. Even someone lacking intelligence should know that this is cruel and poorly timed. Let's treat each other with love and respect and act like the Christians we claim to be. But therein lies the question. Just what kind of Christians do we claim to be? Have we understood what Jesus was trying to tell us? Maybe we need to remember his chance encounter and how he apologized to that foreign woman of so long ago. And by remembering, maybe we can follow his example. She challenged him, and he challenges us. Amen.